There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi there, Alistair Campbell here, Editor-at-Large of the New European, write a weekly column covering politics, Europe, Scotland, Ireland, mental health, sport, lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff. And if you'd like to enjoy more from the New European, please join us. Subscribe at theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash subscribe. Have you held a party at work by accident? Have you had to apologise for a series of incidents that weren't your fault? Are you taking hits for something you don't deserve just because you're in charge of an office that broke every rule going and then laughed about it? Then call the Conservative Party helpline on 020-7222-9000 and you could become the next Prime Minister of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Calls cost £1 per minute from a mobile phone or £100 per minute from a mobile phone if you're roaming in the EU. Hello, Snowflakes, and welcome back to a special Does He Really Think We're All That Stupid edition of the New European podcast with me, Steve Anglesey. I'm the editor of the New European. If you like what we do and you want us to keep on doing it and you want to help with that, please join us at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. Now, there has been speculation that today's guest on the podcast will be James Ball and speculation that after that we'll be putting more pompous politicians and putrid pundits into our hall of shame. But I, I think it's only right that we wait for Sue Gray's findings before I can confirm any of that. In any case, it is a packed podcast, so I want to check that you're in optimal conditions to enjoy it. If you're at home, you might want to go out into the garden and see if your partner's drinking gin and tonic with 30 or 40 people. Oh, they are. Okay, well, are there tables loaded with booze out there? Oh, right. Okay, there are. So what you're doing is you're having a party. You can stop listening to this for a bit and go and enjoy yourself. But if you're listening at work, are you sure you're really at work? Because there seems to be some confusion about this are you inside your office and there's loads of computers and stationery and people talking on phones and people having conferences one another and there's desks and there's chairs and there's people typing away if so then that's right you are at work working are you inside or even outside your office though and no one's typing and instead your colleagues are arguing about which group of them is going to be called quiz team Aguilera and which of them is going to be called the quizzy rascals and a weird bloke from accounts has got a beer in both hands and he's dancing inappropriately with the boss of HR. What that is then is that you're at a works party. It's a party. 
it might be at work, but it's a works party. And if you implicitly believe it's a work event, even when Brian from Fulfillment is pulling you into the conga line, you're either a complete idiot or a complete liar. And I don't think Boris Johnson is a complete idiot. But will this latest pack of lies ultimately prove any more difficult than the previous packs of lies have proven for the lie-packed Boris Johnson? And if it does, what happens next? I'm joined by James Ball, the new European columnist, the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and the global editor of the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. James Ball, it seems appropriate to start by asking whether you've ever been to a party by mistake. Sir, I I mean, who hasn't? It's a very easy thing to do, you know. Uh, You know, my office is always sort of playing loud music and uh, drinking in the middle of the the day so hey yeah easily done very relatable i've been to several parties that have subsequently proved to be a mistake but i don't think (laughs) i've ever just walked out of my door and there's been an accidental party happening i i mean it feels especially difficult if it's in your own garden uh you know where it's kind of like if i walk into a garden in my garden and there's 20 people there drinking i don't just sort of go oh well this is perfectly normal uh you know, I, I sort of ask them what they're doing there, I think. Yeah. Do you do you think he had a beer? I mean, 25 minutes suggests to me that there may have been a drink may have been consumed or or, or something like that. That feels that feels like a can of lager sort of duration. Yeah. I, I mean, also, you know, Carrie was with him, apparently. So, you know, there's 25 minutes. Uh, that's that's. I mean, it's it's also suggests that you you're not really enjoying the party. Does does he not really like the civil servants in number ten? But it does feel long enough to mingle, doesn't it? It very much does. Yeah. I mean, what what else could he have said? Uh, I I do wonder. Uh, I think you might have said. I thought it was a spontaneous gathering. Yes. Pe- people had been there at work anyway. With hindsight, it was a you know a bigger, a much bigger mistake than I realised at the time. And if I'd known it was an organised event, I'd have been furious. You know, I I think he could have done that. The sort of present but not involved feels like half an explanation, and that usually blows up in the face of politicians. Yes, I was expecting him to say, I, I knew nothing about this. And I, if, I'd, if I'd known that there was an email going around, I would have been appalled and um, we'll have to wait for the findings of Sue Gray. But um, but Jonathan Reynolds is on his way out. But, uh, but there you I, go. I suppose the difficulty for him is, if this was just on uh, Reynolds and he knew Reynolds would say that, he could throw Reynolds under the bus and try and get him dismissed. Hmm. If he's having to cling on to Reynolds, certainly for now, yes. it makes you wonder what Reynolds knows. Yes. Or whether he is ready to jettison Reynolds um, at, at, the, at the time when Sue Gray finally does um, show up with her report. Uh, anyway, I mean, when, when things like this happen, people like you and me who've been reporting about the antics of Boris Johnson for, for many years now, following them for many years, tend to sort of shrug and, and then say, well, he's going to find some way of getting away with it again, because that's what he always does. And then when you hear what he said to people in the tea room after his risible excuse and non-apology, I mean, he clearly thinks that he is going to get away with it again. What are the signs for you that that this might be different and he might not get away with it? 
I think this is the most obvious one that was definitely a sort of criminal act at the time. It was a clearly organised party that he clearly isn't actually sorry about it. You know, sort of doing a poor me, poor me, poor me tour of the uh, tea room straight after he supposedly clears the air is kind of there. You know, the fact that the poor sort of paymaster general who was sent into the house to talk nonsense about it didn't have a single minister sitting there supporting him. Boris was never loved by the party. They don't like his antics. They think he's an irritant. They think he's a lightweight. They think he's pretty useless. They liked what he could do for them. And it's not working anymore. You know, there's sort of no base to his character. You know, there's no arse to kick, no soul to damn. And so I think what it's doing is just making people so fed up of him that I imagine if I, you know, if I were a Tory MP now, I'd think it's the locals in just over three months. It's not a good time to be having a conservative civil war during it because the new leader will get the blame. So let's keep this idiot until uh, May and then turf him out. Yes, I think that's I think that's probably um, the, the, what, what's going to happen, isn't it? And and you know, twenty eight percent in the polls. I mean, who, who knows? You can never tell with local elections, but they, they do look on course for a for a shooing. What about Keir Starmer's performance? I, I did. I really enjoyed him saying "boozy party." He said "boozy party" quite a few. I don't know if anybody else uses the term boozy apart from tabloid headline writers and and former director of public prosecutions Sakir Starmer but but what, what did you think of him and it was really noticeable wasn't it that he, although he called him a liar he didn't accuse him of misleading the house despite you know the, the faux outrage at Allegra Stratton video a few weeks ago and and him saying subsequently that he wasn't aware of any other wrongdoing what about Starmer I, I think misleading the house is one for its nerds. You know, we know it's bad and we know it gets into issues and it does X, Y, Z. But I think for mass consumption, what you want is him kind of, you know, having a much clearer, stronger line. It was a better opportunity than that. I thought Starmer did very well with it. You know, Rayner is usually by far the better attack dog. Um, but he he got there. I mean, it helped really that there was sort of, no defence that could be mustered and nothing that wouldn't sound stupid. Um, But I thought he got in some good lines. And actually, I think he showed why his restraint on calling for Boris to resign over other things paid off. Uh, It cut through and was an actual news line that he said it at this PMQs. And I think he would only do that if he actually sort of smelled blood in the water. Um, you know, it, it does look ineffective if you as leader of the opposition three times a week call for the PM to resign with no sort of visible effect. So that was a very calculated choice. Um, but it works quite well with that sense of the party's over, resign. It's a good soundbite. So, you know, he had good material. You know, he had an easy, it was a sort of free hit day. But I thought he did at least successfully take his free hit yes he did I mean there's been you know I I was going to say a spirited defense but it's not really spirited is it what about operation save Boris how convincing are his 
defenders. I mean, to me, they don't even sound that convinced that they should be defending him in the first place. So, well, you know, I, I notice, um, you know, the Chancellor is having his uh, tonsillitis moment. I mean, wisdom teeth out, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just uh, conveniently needs to be out of London for some very important trips a long way, a long way away from any cameras. And, you know, usually the most dangerous place to be in London is between Rishi Sunak and a camera. Uh, like, you know, he's he's there. Pretty, Pretty Patel's very sincere private message that she must be furious leaked. Um, but several of the cabinet ones are just sort of, we need to focus on delivering our agenda. It's not even a sort of defence of the PM. Because it is. I mean, it's bloody indefensible. You, you had... you. Boris Johnson made this rule and made this law. He had had coronavirus so serious that he'd been in intensive care, which means he will have seen other people in intensive care. He will have known that people were dying alone and known that people were sort of, you know, I can remember having to sort of sit in parks in the freezing weather with one other person because... Mm. Otherwise, I'd have no human company for that week because I live alone. He knows all of that was happening. And he went, you know, he had a staff party. It should be said here as well, the civil service have disgraced themselves. You know, like, this is not just a dodgy Tory MP. Senior civil servants in basically every government department had piss-ups while enforcing the rules on COVID. It's absolutely shocking. You know, and I think they are getting off scot-free, actually, and should be really bloody ashamed of themselves because it does seem like it was almost everyone in the senior civil service. Well, it's good news then, isn't it, that one of the civil services is going to <laughs> compile the report on on all of this. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know much about Sue Gray. Um, and I've, I've heard her name. I, number of times over the last couple of days I don't know much about her other than she used to run a pub did you know that I, I did I did know that yes um, it's sort of ideal for this job doesn't it it's yes um, well I mean it's it's this thing where it does sort of seem that uh you know everyone talks about the deep state or you know whether there's a secret cabal that runs the country and it seems that for most of the last 15 years it's actually the the deep state is Sue Gray um <laughs> I have unfond memories of her as she is she was for a long time where freedom of information requests went to die. Uh, She was very, very good at finding ways to get them denied, Uh, usually just by wildly breaching what the law was, but knowing that it would take years at the ICO. So I have unfond memories, but she's she is sort of known as doing a very straight bat and being very into the sort of, you know, the ethics side of things. But because this is about ministers, all she can actually do is sort of rule on the facts. Mm. And the facts in this aren't very complicated. You know, was there a party? Yes. Was there an email? Yes. Did the prime minister go to it? Yes. So we're waiting for a report to tell us what we already know so that Boris Johnson can decide what to do about it. But the very nature of these reports is is not, you know, they don't tend to have the last line doesn't tend to be, you know, the prime minister is guilty of breaching the ministerial code and therefore he must resign. You know, they tend to be, Lord, you know, Lord Geet, we had the, uh, I mean, it was a fairly damning report, that wasn't it, but it stopped short of saying that Boris Johnson had broken the rules. We had Alex Allen's report 
which said that Pretty Patel had exhibited bullying behaviour and, you know, hadn't exhibited the highest standards at all times. But it stopped short of saying, you know, she really had to go and that gave Johnson room to not sack her. And and then when you think of the States, you know, you, I was thinking about this this morning and the, the, the what was he called, Robert... Robert Mueller. Yeah, Mueller, yeah. Yeah, his report contained everything, didn't it? It it basically showed that Trump obstructed justice, but it failed to end with the words Trump obstructed justice and there was enough room for him to escape, you know? Yeah, I mean, the the difficult this one is, I don't think she's even going to go as far as sort of going, this is a breach of the ministerial code, because, like, this is criminal. You know, this, this is literally... The prime minister breaking breaking a law that he made, and that isn't in the ministerial code, and it's not for Sue Gray to say whether or not something breaks the law. So all she can do is state what she thinks the facts were, yes. which is a few steps behind even where we're used to these things being, and so it's sort of a a, a false front in some ways. Uh, you know, it leaves us a bit stuck with the whole thing. Yes, it does, and I think, uh, and I think that you know that's that's part of the strategy, isn't it? That she will, you know, she will simply list things that we already know, and and uh, and then they'll they'll go well, nothing to see here, you know. We we learn, and and maybe a couple of people will be thrown under the bus. I mean, is it the is it an ideal situation for Labour that that Johnson limps on as May did and John Major did? What's the what's the best scenario for people who are interested in a change of government rather than just a change of prime minister there's sort of it's hard to tell you know boris is often quite good at bouncing back you know he often does pretty pretty well with these things so and the the people who are sort of most likely to succeed sort of boris aren't necessarily popular politicians you know i think rishi is actually a bit of an outside bet you know my money given the conservative membership would be pretty patel or liz truss yes and i'm not sure those would be bad news for labor um so you know there is that sort of matter of hey this this should be good news whatever comes uh because you know we this government is old you know we are in sort of year 12 of this conservative government and we're now you know if we're post Boris, we're on PM4. Uh, you know, 17 years of Thatcher Major, there were only two PMs. So, you know, it's starting to look like the supply teacher situation, isn't it? It would be it would be three in five years, wouldn't it, if he um, if he went. I mean, let's just let's just wrap up this bit by by I mean, you mentioned your money would be on Truss or or Pretty Patel. Boris Johnson's departure date. 2022 is odds on. That's that's about two to one on. So if you put a, a tenner on, you'd win back a fiver and, and you'd get your tenner back. 2023, to go in 2023, that's five to one. 2024 or later is three to one. So the bookies think that it's most likely that he'll, he'll go this year. But if he doesn't go this year, you know, he's more likely to go into the next election or, or maybe beyond. What do you... You know, what would you put your your tenor on? Go this year, go next year, go 2024 or even after that? I think go this year now. I think the locals are going to be a bit of a shit show, to be honest, for the uh, for the Conservatives. And I think quite a symbolic one that could give them quite a big problem would be um, 
Westminster Council, which has been Conservative for a very, very long time and obviously includes Parliament. And there's a pretty good chance Labour could take that. And so it would be very close to home for them and a very, very big symbolic win. Uh, and I just think if things go that badly on the locals, I don't see how Boris bounces back. And how ironic that it would happen, you know, towards the, the end of May, which is our ideal season for, for you know, garden parties, which, which, <laughs> which would greet his departure, a, a, a sort of work event, a spontaneous work event um, garden party to celebrate him going. Now, uh, I did want to mention the piece that you've written in, in this week's edition of The New European, which we were going to talk in more length about, but obviously, uh, hopefully uh, listeners will understand why not. That is about 55 Tufton Street. It's an address that people, I think, will some people will be familiar. Hasn't really been mentioned for a while. What goes on at 55 Tufton Street and why does it have extra <laughs> significance at the moment? Well, there's rather a lot of campaign groups and think tanks actually based there, um, but it also hosts a sort of fortnightly get-together for sort of everyone's favourite, you know, uh, IEA, the Adam Smith Institute, yeah. uh, the Global Warming Policy Forum, the Taxpayers Alliance, you know, all all of uh, all the new Europeans' uh, favourite right. people. Um and I mean, I think what I was trying to do with this piece was to try and sort of say, you know, if you think of this as a Machiavellian, you know, concerted, very deliberate plot against democracy, you're not really thinking of it right. It's sort of what if a lot of, you know, people who are quite ruthless, but actually share a lot of feelings and share a lot of connections, um, start to find themselves at the heart of government and so to them it doesn't feel like an, a, an influence network or a sort of you know or a troubling thing but that doesn't mean it isn't one um you know they they don't need to get told what to say by their donors their donors give them the money because they know they agree with them but it turns them into a sort of vehicle for special interests right into the heart of government you know, 55 Tufton Street did play a huge role in Brexit um, and in the Brexit that we got. And so, you know, it's a bid to try and go, here's what it really is. That doesn't make it less scary or less bad, but here's how to sort of talk about it without sounding like someone who's got, you know, cork boards full of red string in your cellar. Yes. Are, are, are the right wing better than the left wing at, at this, do you think? Much better. Think tanks and getting their message out. Much better. I mean, you know, one of the things the Taxpayers Alliance really understood was this isn't about doing detailed policy research to actually, you know, do something that can be enacted. It's what will make a good headline. What can you do just enough things so that it's not strictly false mm. that will cut through? And there's a ruthlessness on messaging and a ruthlessness on coordination Whereas I think the left has a habit of wanting to hand ring and go, well, yes, well, the detail. There was sort of, it, it was the old Brexit dilemma of one side was saying, we send uh, the EU 350 million a week, let's give it to our NHS instead. And the other side was sort of saying, well, um, there is a headline figure of 350 million, but this is quite dishonest because you've got a rebate of 97 million a year, although that depends on the relative GDP growth of the UK versus the EU 27. So it can be 95 to 105 million. So it's more like 250 million, but 
actually, you know, you, if you then look at what we get in structural grants and all sorts of other things, it's much more like 180 million, at which point, you know, your brain has switched off and you start thinking, well, 180 million is still quite a lot too. And oh, the numbers are a bit smaller isn't really a compelling argument, is it? And so, yeah, we have to learn how to campaign in poetry again. Well, there you go. Campaigning in poetry. To, to find out more about 55 Tufton Street, you don't have to wait for Sue Gray's report. You can just get a copy of this week's New European. James, thank you so much. I'm sure we will talk again soon. Um, and we must plan in our garden party for the end of uh, the end of May. It's uh, it's the spectator garden party is not a patch on ours. <laughs> it will be tremendous. If you uh, want to read more from James Ball or get full archive, uh, full access to his online archive, rather, please subscribe at the slash subscribe. Now, before the Hall of Shame, our usual reminder of something that isn't shameful, in fact, it's rather wonderful, Charlie Connolly's Great European Lives podcast. Two seasons are available now. They tell the stories of amazing Europeans in 10-minute bursts. A superb listen. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. And now the Hall of Shame. Putrid politicians, pompous pundits, things that annoy me generally. And let's start by saying... Alack, egad, harumph, it's Anne Widdicombe Corner. And in her terrible column in the terrible Daily Express, Anne writes, the jury in the so-called Colston 4 case should be forced to explain themselves and risk being thrown in the clink if they do. So the judges are enemies of the people, the juries are now enemies of the people. I suppose the so-called Colston 4 are now enemies of the people. I mean, wouldn't it be so much simpler to just devolve the legal process in politically charged cases like these to Anne Widdicombe in a new TV show? Maybe it could strictly come judging, it could be called. How many years? Seven? You know, that sort of thing. Tory MP Tom Hunt is also in the Hall of Shame. He said, if the jury is a barrier to ensuring the Colston Four are punished, then that needs to be addressed. Well, just let's... let." you know decide people's fate without need for proper investigation you know except in cases where we have to wait for sue gray's report before we decide anything jacob reese mogg is in the hall of shame uh he called scottish tory leader douglas ross who's called for johnson to go he said he was a lightweight figure a lightweight figure uh being called that by jacob reese mogg it's rather like the victorian brass samovar calling the victorian copper hearth kettle black isn't it Nigel Farage is in the Hall of Shame for his support for Novak Djokovic against the Australian Immigration Service. What was all that about unelected foreigners meddling in the affairs of sovereign states? Lord Moylan is in the Hall of Shame for saying it was okay that Carrie Johnson attended the Downing Street party drinking gin with 40 other people. Do you want her in Perda, locked behind her doors? He said, yes, because we were in Perda, locked behind our doors at the time. But foremost in the Hall of Shame is the person who said this on TV this week. We've got so many serious issues to be getting on with. The idea that we're going to get rid of our chief executive when we're still in the pandemic. We've still got NHS challenges. We've got an energy crisis and we've not finished Brexit yet. Are we going to waste our time at this juncture on these squabbles? Why don't we just let the chief executive get on with it? 
the answer to that, of course, is that the chief executive has mismanaged the pandemic, failed on the NHS challenges, made the energy crisis worse, signed a Brexit deal that even he thinks is a shambles, and he's a serial liar who's lied to the nation and sticks his head out of a window and doesn't realise that there's a, a party going on in his own uh, garden. But who is that supporter of Boris Johnson who wants him to be allowed to just get on with it? Let the chief executive just get on with it. Well, it's Chris Akabusi. Yeah, Chris Akabusi, the, the athlete, the, the guy who's always laughing at you know stuff that isn't funny. And it's Chris Akabusi and his credentials as a heavyweight political pundit, they uh, include presenting the record breakers when Roy Castle died, appearing on some gambling adverts on TV, playing a milkman on Last of the Summer Wine. Um, but he's a right-wing celebrity, so naturally he's got a pundit's job on GB News. Um, Chris Akabusi, of course, famous for laughing at anything and everything, and Boris Johnson, famous for laughing at you and me. But who's going to have the last laugh, I wonder? That was the New European Podcast with Steve Anglesey. Thanks to James Ball. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to our producer, Ellie longman Rood. If you don't want to miss an episode of the New European Podcast, please subscribe and give us some nice ratings and lovely reviews, please. Charlie Connolly's Great European Lives is a great podcast. It's available wherever you got this one. And if you like what we do, please subscribe to The New European at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. You can join our Facebook readers group. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at The New European. You can follow me on Twitter at Sanglesey. Until the next time we meet for a garden party, so long, snowflakes.